Hey, welcome to another episode of the Sayers Conversations podcast. Today, our very special guest is Paul Guerra, who is the Chief Executive of the Victorian Chamber of Commerce. Enjoy. Welcome to a Sayers Conversation, um, where we're speaking to just leaders, leaders of the country, um, and leading people in terms of ideas and energy as well. That's a big part of what we're trying to do on the Sayers Conversation. And with me today is a fellow called Paul Guerra. And he is the Chief Executive of VECI, or the Victorian Chamber of Commerce. G'day, Paul. G'day, Russ. It's really good to actually be with you in a podcast because you and I talk often, um, and that is on uh, AW Radio, we will often come to you, but of course, it's always way too quick. It is, it is. But I do love seeing you outside the Sayers and VECI building because we share the Westpac Tower there, Mm -hmm. uh, where you'll often come in when I'm doing a press conference yes. there as well. I yep. enjoy the remarks afterwards as well, so <laughs> thank you. And I understand I'm number 51. Uh, can so you the half century's been raised and I get to take us towards 100. Is that the deal? Okay, so yeah, this is podcast 51, for which I apologise. <laughs> uh, but maybe it's because we do see each other and talk often that um, I, I suppose I haven't thought, gee, I must get, you know, I've got to get Paul as number number two <laughs> podcast. So 51st, so apologies for that. However, I need to apologize. it does kick us off. Me. It does kick us off for a good um, good run to the century. Hmm. Um, and as I said in the intro, we just like to talk to people with ideas and, and with energy. When I think about Paul Guerra, I just think Melbourne. Um, you're a Melbourneian hmm. through and through. So... Let's just talk about that for a bit. Why not? Uh, give me give me your take on Melbourne growing up. Melbourne growing up for me was in the outer suburbs. I grew up in Bayswater. Um, Mum and Dad are still there, by the way, so in the family right. home. So I'm one of five children, two older sisters, two younger brothers, so the, the peacemaker from the start. But oh, yeah. Italian background, so two older sisters <laughs> means the first son came along. Bit of a celebration in, yep. in that one as well. But I had, look, I had a lucky childhood. Yeah, you know, street was full of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, next door to me was a uh, fellow called Derek Tobin, and Derek and I are still mates today. He lives in Sydney, but yeah, you know, we still catch up whenever. Yep. Great um, primary school um, through Our Lady of Lords in Bayswater, and I still see friends from that era. And then St Joseph's Regional College in Fentry Gully was my um, high school, and any number of famous names out of there: Damien Hardwick, Darren Crocker, to name a few. Right. <laughs> so it was like it was a good, t- really good time. Right. You know, um, yeah, we, we didn't have the concerns that I think we share with our kids today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd walk from home to Bayswater train station, yep. catch the train two stops and get off at Fentry Gully and walk down to school from there. So we don't think about our kids doing that today in the same way that we did. No. So, Which is sort of weird in a way, isn't it? Because it's not yes. like... I don't know that our streets are... Partic- well, in fact, I think there's evidence to say that they are, in fact, safer than yeah. when we were kids. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's happened there, but I, I, I do I do agree with you. And what about sort of local sport and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so played a lot of footy um, yep. and a lot of athletics. So mm-hmm. did athletics till I was, I think, under 17s mm-hmm. um, and then decided to give cricket a go. Enjoyed that, but far too short and then started playing golf. So okay. After I gave footy up, played golf. Uh, so you, you're a long-time golfer? I am. Good on you. Mm. Uh, and so uh, where do you play? Metropolitan. Or wherever anyone asks me to play. So. Metropolitan, no less. Good man. Well, the lad from Bayswater is now at Metro. I is think that, Metro. That is yes. absolutely, that is awesome. Now, horse racing is a part of your life. It is. So tell me about um, how that happened. Yeah, I got into racing late. I grew up being an Essendon supporter. And you know, back then, Essendon weren't so good. So we'd fall onto Not a true. channel called 3DB. <laughs> and 3DB, of course, would cut to the races whenever the races were on. 
and Essendon because that was that crap. Mm. Used to be on three DB all the time. Yep. So you get about five minutes of footy and fifteen minutes of horse racing. Yep. Anyway, through the the, the journey, uh, met a couple of people. Um, they had an interest in horse racing, and of course that rubs off on you. And you buy your first horse, then you buy your second horse, and you have a bit of success, and yep. then it's in your blood. And I, I love it. I love the social side as much as anything. Yeah, well, of course, um, my the radio partner who you know well, Ross. Yeah, I, I would think that his great passion with he loves horses, as you yeah. know. But it's the sort of the culture, the mates, the the networking, yeah. the com- the stories that come from it. Yeah, it's it's you know when you think about it, an afternoon of horse racing, let's say ten races, two minutes each, so that's twenty minutes. You might see the horses in front of you for ten seconds a race, so that's that's <laughs> it's a hundred seconds. The rest of the five hours is just socialising and talking to people and, and pretending that you can pick a winner yes. when you've got no idea. Yeah, the trainers it? have no idea, so how can you have an idea? But when you do, there's nothing better. Isn't that wonderful? It's a, a, a fabulous pastime. I, um, so I didn't tell you that this is Freddie. So Freddie Young, he's a, he is a good one and is in charge of, or he produces this podcast. And what I do, I ask Freddie just to keep a keen ear out for what we're talking about because he might ask you a question or two at the back end sure. of the conversation. So... so um, just in case, you know, Freddie springs one on you. I've now, I've warned you. Okay, so racing, so a, a passion, a pastime, but also you're involved with racing. I am, yeah. I'm on the board of Racing Victoria, so which I've been there for about 18 months now. And I see a different side of, of racing. You know, Racing Victoria is the regulator. Um, it, it will ensure that racing in Victoria stays strong for years. Mm-hmm. It works with all the clubs, be it the Metropolitan Clubs, you know, Flemington, the VRC, Melbourne Racing Club out at Caulfield and, of course, Sandown and then Mooney Valley Racing Club, but then all the country racing clubs as well. So so it's the governing body? It is, right. yeah. You know, think of it in terms of um, Racing Victoria, similar to the AFL, not quite the same structure, and then you know the clubs that sit underneath that. There's a lot more autonomy that the clubs have in, in racing than what they yep. do in um, AFL, but it's kind of similar to that. Got it. Uh, WorkSafe is also of great interest to me, um, mainly because they're really good at spending money on advertising. <laughs> so tell me about so – because you're still involved with WorkSafe? No. No. I'm okay. on the advisory committee ah, there, I which see. is um, – it, it, it's a change that the organisation's going through. Um, it, look, we're hearing a lot about WorkSafe at the moment. Yep. Work cover largely to do with um, the premiums and, and where the scheme is at. So we're doing a bit of work in the background there. Right. We, we did have a lot of fun uh, earlier around the notion of um, <laughs> can't you just – so fear culture within organisations. Yeah. And, you know, so surely, you know, you're allowed to yell at someone once per day, but apparently not, not anymore. Uh, depends who you're yelling at, I think, is what <laughs> right. the, uh, the answer to that is. Okay. Uh, look, I think things have changed. You look back at the footy days when you and I would have been growing up playing footy, getting a spray was probably oh. a – and every quarter event, whereas now it's it's mm-hmm. softly, softly, everyone gets a ribbon and, and let's all do it nicely. Yeah. There's probably room for both. Mm. Um, I, I think we've changed for the better um, because I think that that encouragement side is Agreed. probably much better than the, the hitting with the stick side. You're, you're prolific, really. When, when, you have, when I have a look at all the things that you are doing and have done, um, there's a really sort of broad, you know, depth and breadth, I, I think, is what comes to mind. So um, when you think back on your career, what sort of, Give us the highlight, you know, the thing we go, actually, I learnt the most then, I had the most impact, I, it was the most joy that I've got out of work. Yeah, I've been really lucky with my career. Mm. Started, you know, I finished an engineering degree with honours at Swinburne, so, which will surprise many people. Electronic engineering, uh, no less. So, um, And then I, my first role was with Motorola mm. back in the, before the heyday, so before the, the mobile phone was invented, but I right. stayed there for 17 years. 
<laughs> and I saw the mobile phone invented um, at that point in time. Ended up running Asia Pacific for the distribution channel for Motorola before I came home. That, for me, the highlight there was um, working... I, I, I was a good collaborator back then and had a good strategic brain, which mm-hmm. I think they're, they're two of the qualities I have mm-hmm. now as well. But I could see the world changing in terms of you know, contractors and the like. So I took a proposition to Motorola Management about Motorola taking on a lead of a build-own-operate um, project, which we, we kind of now think in terms of public-private partnerships, and it was with the State Government of Victoria here. We'd been subcontracting to Telstra and a couple of other similar projects, and it was my view that you know, we needed to change, otherwise we were going to be marginalised out. Um, I got support up to Singapore and then yeah. all the way into Chicago, and here's this, yeah. you know, here's this guy from Melbourne trying to explain to the monolith that was Motorola that there's a, a better and different way. They gave me a great hearing. We, we ended up winning the contract, believe it or not, and that changed the, the destiny of, of Motorola. They picked that concept up and okay. then used that across the rest of the world. So that was that was really pleasing to do that. So when I think Motorola, I, uh, of course, I think, well, okay, when the mobile phone came into our lives at pace, mm. mid-'90s, I suppose. Yeah, it was. Um Motorola was right up there. Yeah, it was. It was one of the lead brands. Uh, and then, but then over time, it got beaten up. So if you reflect on that, like what could, what could, if anything, what could Motorola have done differently? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So Motorola was strong before the mobile phone. Um, it was um, in business for at least 50 years um, before that. And it had this mantra through the founder that it had to generate a new technology every decade. So you think about the failures that that would need to get there. Yeah. So you know, you, we think about the pager, Motorola. We yes. think about mobile phone, Motorola. Yes. We think about radios, uh, which emergency services still use, Motorola. Communications to the moon, mm. Motorola. Really? So um, satellite uh, phones was Motorola. So, And then you had uh, wireless internet. Um, I actually implemented the first wireless internet in Australia mm-hmm. um, in a a town not far from the Gold Coast, so which was, again, Motorola technology. So it had this ability to invent new technologies, which meant it was, I think, the first innovator because it was, it was ready to fail. 10% of its uh, profits went into innovation or R&D at that point back in, in time, yeah, straight right. back in to sort of drive it through. So you know, if I look at it, it had a range of, of product suites with the phone, um, brilliant um, invention, brilliant innovation, um, the company, I think, got too focused on that and forgot about its other right. product range right. and almost bet, you know, well, it did bet its future on the phone and it was lucky to survive. As, you know, if you go back through the phones, you had Motorola, then um, Nokia, Nokia. Yep. then Sony Ericsson, mm-hmm. and they kept leapfrogging each other. So uh, Motorola ended up getting back in front. And then this thing called Apple iPhone yeah. um, came well, in and just blew everybody out. You know, it was no longer the tactile function. It was the full screen, uh, the full computer that just changed the face. And, and at that point in time, Motorola could compete. So it, it suffered at the hands of that, but I've got to say it's recovered and recovered really strongly. There's a CEO in there at the moment called Greg Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, his story should be told at some point in time because it's quite remarkable, at the same as the Galvin family that started uh, Motorola as well. Just brilliant innovators. Gavin Brown. Greg Brown. Greg Brown. Yeah. Like Gavin Brown. In the US. When you go to Chicago next, Russ, yeah, look yeah. him up. Yeah, no, well, well, we've got some US plans coming up. So Greg Brown, I will look him up for sure. Okay, so let's talk about Vecchi, right? So mm-hmm. so the Chamber, let, let's just do Chamber 101. What's yep. the purpose of the Chamber? Um, twofold. So we're a business in our own right. So uh, we're the largest provider of apprentice and trainees um, across Victoria. 
Um, we're a registered training organisation and we have our own training department on top of that. We provide industrial relations advice so we can represent businesses in uh, fair work. And we're the largest provider of certificates of origin, which means if you export from Australia to another country, mm. you need a stamp to prove where it came from. We provide that stamp, that certification. So that's what we kind of do in our, our day job. Love it. Then the one that we're probably most known for is the advocacy, which is what mm-hmm. you and I talk about yep. um, a lot on air. Yep. What does business need to get ahead? What does government need um, to insert back into business as well to ensure that we have that symbiotic re- relationship so that Victoria uh, stays a strong place for business to coexist? Yep. So that's the policy side, the advocacy piece that, that we do on behalf of all businesses across the state. All right, well, we'll get on to that. Um, but before we do, so Vicky... You've got offices regionally? Yeah, we do. Is it eight offices? Yeah, we've got about 12 around the ah. state. So we've got, uh, I think it's about three or four in metropolitan Victoria um, and then about eight in uh, regional towns from Mildura to um, Ballarat through to Shepparton, down to Trelgan. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we've got a good feeling of what's going on in exactly. Victoria at any point. And, and tell me, uh, how many members does Vicky have? We've, we talk to about 85,000 members and customers every day. Right. So it's, it's a fair reach in terms of the businesses that are out there. And um, I used to have a business in Bayswater mm-hmm. called Casper's Pies. Pies. Now, which uh, my friend Greg Kahan and uh, his brother. And they're doing own. well. They are doing very well. Which is just awesome news. It is. I'm so pleased they are doing well. Beautiful product, the Casper's product. So um, is, a, is a business of that size big enough to be a Vecchi? Yeah, any business is. Any you know, whether it's a startup mm-hmm. um, or whether it's the largest business in the state, right. which the, the largest single employer in the state would be Crown, they're a member as well. Right. So anything from startups to the biggest and everything in between, um, we've, we've something for everybody at Vecchi. So this is why ultimately why Vecchi's got a voice. Um, it's got it because it's able to tap into um, a... Very significant network. I mean, you know, the the GDP, the state GDP of Vecchi members, I'm not going to ask you the question because it's unfair, but it would be substantial. Yeah, it would be. And the the amount of employees um, that we would look after through that remit as well is substantial as Mm -hmm. well. So when you look at the whole ecosystem, we're in – look, I'm I'm in a privileged position. Vecchi's in a privileged position because of the insights that we're able to get from businesses across the board. Yeah. Now, you're a good storyteller, Paul, um, and I think that part of uh, being in – your position is being able to tell stories about um, Vecchi, the world of business. So give us some some highlights, some business highlights for the state of Victoria. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, there's no question it's been a tough four years. Who knew COVID was coming along and, and who knew the impact that it was going to be there? But yep. what I saw through that uh, period was, was a richness of collaboration um, across Victorian businesses that just impressed me so much. We... we we, we looked at, you know, in the depths of COVID, we were wondering when we were going to get out of it. And we knew government was purely focused on how do we get through this. Yes. Um, so we brought together a series of leaders um, and there was about 60 in the end that covered business, that covered government, that covered education institutions, that covered community and covered sport. And we, we put together this project called the Victoria Summit. Uh, we ended up spending 10,000 hours um, on it. Actually, the unions were in there as well. Great. We ended up spending 10,000 hours on it and coming up with 187 different ideas that were ultimately supported um, by the group that put them all together. And you know, we, we think it's a great plan forward uh, for the state. But for me, it was one of those um, moments in time that if we try to do it again, we wouldn't be able to. 
people were looking for an opportunity to yep. contribute, yep. put their ideas forward, test their ideas forward. The connections we've got out of that now is just unbelievable, not just for us, but the, for the people that participated as well. It's quite interesting, isn't it, when um, things go well, they were going particularly badly at that point in time, it does provide, you know, in the classic consulting language, the burning platform. Yep. And, uh, and that then gets people focused. In 1991, of course, there was a recession um, and Melbourne wasn't looking too flash. Mm. And the Committee for Melbourne, I think, came out of that. Is that yeah, right? I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and as a result, the Committee for Melbourne had a really significant impact on our, on our city. So I'm just – obviously, I'm leading to a conversation about our, our city, the city of Melbourne um, – it's changed, it and, and and I feel like I want you to tell me that it's changed for the better. Yeah, so it, it has changed. Mm. Um, I'm not one that looks back too much. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason that I think our rearview mirror is the size that it is compared to our front windscreen, and that's yeah. kind of how I like to live my life. Yeah. In the past couple of years, I've been lucky enough to travel the world um, as well and, and see the cities that they've recovered certainly i think other cities have recovered quicker than yes. uh, melbourne yes um what i think we need to do now is is work a path for what melbourne wants to be in the new era that is post-covid it, it's changed it's different mm. um, our attitudes towards big cities have shifted a bit um that doesn't mean it's broken but it doesn't mean it's right either yeah it feels i mean as i said in the question you know i want you to tell me that it's good i'm not so sure like you know i get as again as you know i get quite anxious about our city because i just i just feel that um for us to thrive you need a you need a pumping heart but maybe that's old thinking yes yeah, so I, th- I still think that is right um we we need a reason to come to melbourne um, and if I look at what's happened, sort of, and it was happening before COVID as well, um, if you're coming to Melbourne now, you can get great restaurants without coming to Melbourne. Right. You can get great shopping without coming to Melbourne. Mm. You can get great experiences without coming to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So you, and you can get a great office without coming into Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's different types of things popping up, not only through suburbia, but through regional Victoria as well. So... Melbourne has to look at what is it, what is its offer um, post COVID, right. um, and that's the change. So we're not seeing the amount of people back in the CBD that we were previously. So you're starting to see more empty shop fronts as a result. We're coming back in because we're either that's it, this is the place that we work, and some of us are in here five days, some of us are in here less than that. We're coming in for sport, particularly top line sport. When you look at you know the Melbourne Olympic Park precinct and yep. the MCG and, and Marvel Stadium. You're coming in for culture and the arts, and that's the the NGV and the theatres um, and the like, or you're coming in for Crown. <laughs> They're the things that you can't get outside of Melbourne. Everything else you can get outside of Melbourne now, and, yeah. and that's that's what Melbourne has to grapple with. What does it want to be now? What's what's the future going to be for Melbourne? It's quite – only in the city, I think, is the line that they're using, which I like, right? So that sort of reinforces what you've just articulated because I can only go to Crown, for example. It's, it's only in the city. Yep. <laughs> or the NGV, that's only in the city. Only in the city. So yep. what we've got to do is work out – you know, the, the, the tussle that we're having between you know, bikes and cars and yeah. therefore restricting – how many cars can get into the CBD by virtue of traffic flow, yep. is that the right thing? It's and so interesting. Isn't some, it? some would argue that just taking something off, like if I took $100 off you mm. um, to give to Freddie, 
you're probably not going to be happy about it, yet Freddie's probably going to be delighted about that. Indeed. So there's a tension there that I don't think needs to be there if we think through this a bit differently. Uh We we need proper separation from the bike lanes. We certainly need access for bike lanes, but we need proper separation from vehicles, be they cars, trucks, buses or whatever, uh, pedestrians and um, cyclists. Uh, We haven't got that quite right. We haven't got our throughput through the city with pretty much every thoroughfare being blocked down to a single lane and therefore taking us longer to get through. It doesn't make for an attractive city to do business in or to come in and visit either. I read with interest that I, and I think I've got this right, that Auckland is now, they're they're reassessing their bike policy because I feel, I think they think that they've got the balance wrong. In other words, it's gone too much in the favour of the bicycle and not enough in the favour of the car. I, I, I feel like that's what's going on over Yeah, there. so I think our focus is right, but right. our execution isn't. So yeah. what, what's wrong with having a couple of flyovers that land the cyclists into the, the centre of the city and then distribute down some of the little streets? Cool. Right, let's think about this differently. That yeah. way you get the separation for cyclists, they'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You give the, the roadways back to the vehicles, they'll be happy. And you keep the footpaths for pedestrians, right. they'll be happy. Okay. I, I think we just got to think about this a bit differently rather than going, well... There's two lanes of road there. Let's take half of it, which which utilize, which makes the, the other half completely useless. You mm. can't do anything with it. So you're taking a lane away from traffic and then you wonder why there's congestion leading Indeed. into every part of the CBD. Yeah. I, 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 so if I, was, um, if I asked you to... So let's double down on a few things. So, I mean, what immediately comes to mind for me is uh, the medical precinct. Yep. Right? So Brilliant. If we, if, yeah, Brilliant. Right. So if we double down on the medical precinct... Um, I think I've said to you before, you know, we should, we should, in fact, you might have said it to me, that uh, we should see Melbourne as the Boston of the Southern Hemisphere, yep. um, which is, I love that as a catchphrase. In other words, you know, the capability that we have here in, in the medical world is is profound. Yep. So maybe we're gonna, we should double down on med tech. Let's agree with that. Um, what else should we double down on? Bruce, so on the med tech, I ran United Health Group, which most people listening to the podcast are going, what, what the hell is that company? United Health Group. United Health Group. So I was CEO of Asia Pacific uh, for them. They're the seventh largest company in the world. Um, turnover about $300 billion US dollars annually. Jeez. Um, over 200,000 employees annually. What they do in health, no one else um, comes close to. Um, so I saw health care at its best, you know, all, all of the different aspects of it. There's no question what we have in, in the biotech side um, is world-class and there's collaborations to be done um, between you know what we do and, and companies like United Health Group, in my opinion, to sort of turbocharge that even mm-hmm. more. Now, we, we talk about that and we, we glow about it as we should, but that's probably 20 to 25 years in the making. Yeah. We, we can't wait that long for the next one to come through. So let's have a look at some of the emerging um, things that we're seeing. We're certainly seeing renewables emerging. There's no home for that in Australia right now. Why not Victoria? Um, innovation, which is a passion point of both yours and mine uh, for different reasons, but ultimately the same reason in that we think there's an area to exploit there for Victoria's benefit. Mm-hmm. What are we doing from an innovation side that then you know, makes us to become the attractor for all things innovative for not only Australia but Asia-Pacific Asia because there's no headquarters for that either. Mm-hmm. Why not the Silicon Valley of Asia-Pacific coming out of Melbourne? We've got all the education institutions to be able to do that. We've got the companies here that can do that as well and we've got the smarts that sit around it. And, by the way, we've got 19 unicorns that came out of Victoria um, as well already. So we have the track record um, there. If I look at advanced manufacturing... Right. We led the country. We still do in manufacturing. It's just it's a smaller share of what we do. Yep. Um, now, why not advanced manufacturing? 
Mm. Uh, why can't we pick that up and really run that? And the last one that I think is emerging really strongly is that space and, and aerospace, couple that with defence. There's going to be a lot of money spent in that area yep. in years to come. Why can't we headquarter that already? Yeah. We've got you know, a number of already existing companies, if I think of um, Boeing and a, a couple of others that fit in there as well. well what's it? No, I can't remember the name of the... Um, there, there's the drone manufacturer. There's a drone manufacturer down there near Boeing at um, yeah, and you've got uh, Fisherman's Bend. Just, just come in as well. Yeah, so. they're, right. they're building cardboard drones that they're using in Ukraine. It's incredible. Right? Isn't that just unreal? And, and in fact, on Thursday, I think at Melbourne Uni, there's a launch for, well, there's a celebration of the satellite. That, uh, that the Melbourne Uni guys have been involved in. So so I agree with you. I think that there's some amazing opportunities. Now, we've got a number of – there's sort of a number of state organs, let's call them that. There's Launch Vic, there's Invest Vic, there's Breakthrough Vic. Um, I imagine that they're all designed to do something to help, but I but I reckon it's confusing. Um, so is Vicky able to give us a hand on, on working out um, who's who in the zoo when it comes to those – Organs. Yeah, we hope so, and we do. We work with business closely right. um, on that. I, I agree with your sentiment around the confusion, um, but they're also doing great work. Right. Okay. It's just how do we stitch them um, together? So if you look at it, Launch Vic is really fostering the startup um, ecosystem there, and they're investing in incubators to hopefully spin more startups out of that. Yeah. You know, Breakthrough Victoria is, is taking a commercial approach to enterprise where they'll make investments into organisations and hopefully those organisations can grow and therefore multiply the investment for the state. Um, Invest Vic is looking at how do we attract businesses offshore and you know I'm a great example of that. Motorola headquartered for Asia Pacific in Melbourne many, many years ago. Yep. So it's that type of approach that Invest Vic are trying to do again. Um, and then you've got Global Victoria which has 24 offices I think around um, the globe set up in different cities, trying to attract two-way investment in terms of trade, but also working closely with Investvic to, to do all that. So they're disparate organisations. Can they work closely together? Yes, and mm. we're working with the state government to work out how to do that. But there's a bit, you know, and you and I have talked about this, we, there's a bit missing, particularly from the Launch Vic phase through to the Breakthrough Victoria phase. Yeah. And that's that piece in the middle because when a startup sort of comes out of the ecosystem... Um, it's not ready to crawl or walk um, at that point in time, yet that company could be a great company. Yeah, I think there's that middle um, piece there that just that bit of extra nurturing might enable that company to get up on its feet quickly yep. and then turn into the next unicorn that will be born out of Melbourne. We just need the right support okay. layers around that. I love that. I love that as an idea. Um, invest uh, Invest is interesting in that, you know, let's go around the world and find companies that come and can domicile here in, in Melbourne so um, just for uh, randomly, it made me think of Neville Rand in New South Wales and all those Japanese companies that he got in there, right? So that would have been in their, what, 70s and 80s? Um, they did a great job in New South Wales of being headquarters for Japanese organisations. So where should, uh, is, there a, is, a, is there a specific geography, country, market that we should be targeting? No, I think, so I think what we should be looking at is the verticals um, that we want to play in, you yeah. know, my background in terms of you know, strategy and then sales, you've got to be really clear. Can I win there? Yeah. Right? And I think we should play where we can win. So, should so let's sta- look at the verticals that, that we think we can dominate uh-huh. for not only Australia but for Asia-Pacific and that's where we should focus. So should a, state, um, should a state have a business plan which is prescriptive? 
Ooh, good question because it has to be a catch-all for every type mm. of business. But I think on the growth side, if the government is going to invest money, yep. that's where I think they need to be prescriptive in terms of we can't be everything to everybody. Right? We will support all businesses, sure, but here are the businesses that we're going to accelerate growth into as well because we think we can lead these markets globally. Yeah, it's making me think of uh, what uh, Professor Michael Porter. Um, he wrote the business plan for New Zealand. No way. Yeah, absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. Get on Google. The just, marketers uh, of all time. Yeah, just get on Google and just Google, you know, Michael P- Professor Michael Porter, Harvard, um, uh, New Zealand business plan. And it, there it is. He actually literally wrote. And, of course, part of it was um, a focus around clusters. Yep. Yeah, so a cluster such as sailing, in fact, and because of all the things that that brings, uh, technology. Yeah. So, you know, the notion of that, if you actually build a cluster around what may seem odd, sailing, but actually you um, then apply technology to improve your sailing and then what, go on and win the America's Cup. Yeah, and then all the byproducts <laughs> of that as well. So you get the tourism spin-off from there. Exactly. You, you get the advanced manufacturing, you get the innovation. Um, but, of course, sailing is a sport. It might appear small here, but mm. globally um, oh. it's a giant. So oh. yeah, it's genius. Yeah, it's, very, it's really worth having a look at. So speaking of geniuses, um, Australia Day. So you're still involved with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the Australia Day Council, which means, well, they've, they've kind of retired the program a little bit. We used to be invited out to different communities and, and make a speech about what Australia Day right. uh, meant to the ambassadors there. So yeah, it's, um, that's gone quiet over the last couple of years and yeah. individual communities are inviting who they want. Um, but yes, no, I'm still involved. So the Australia Day thing is interesting. Obviously, there's the politics around Australia Day. Yeah. Um, but I have been reminded in the last few weeks of, and I reckon it was Bulkus, Senator Bulkus, who was head of immigration under the Hawke government, and they would spend a lot of money mm. um, around Australia Day, but it doesn't have to be spent on Australia Day, but they spent a lot of money around Australian citizenship yep. uh, and what it means to be an Australian citizen and um, used advertising, the power of advertising, the power of media, in order to drive a point of view about Australia and what Australia means. So give me a bit of a perspective on your view, um, Paul Guerra, around Australia. Mm. Uh, I'm lucky to live here um, and I hope Australia continues to be the place that we all want to live. Mm. Uh, I'm the grandson of four Italian migrants. Um, so back in their late teens, early 20s, um, my four grandparents made the decision to leave their home country with no language and no money. Yeah. No guarantee that they're going to make it because the trip was three to four months um, on a ship. Arrive in a foreign country if they got there, knowing that they're probably not going to see their family ever again um, and then start a new life. They did it because they thought their chances for their, hopefully what their kids would be, um, would have a better life in Australia. So I reflect on that. That's that's courage to make that decision. There's totally. not too many people that are making that decision um, today because you know English is so widely um, spoken. You'd land mostly in an area where you can at least um, communicate. So... My reflection on Australia is different um, to others. You know, I, I use the day to celebrate what my grandparents um, did and the mm. fortunate life that I've uh, been able to have in Australia. We, we're not by any um, you know, position. We didn't come up with money. You know, we're you know, working class family. Dad worked at the SEC for you know all of his life. Mum, you know, stayed at home, looked after the kids. You know, cut hair yeah. um, in in the back or the bathroom as it was in. Yeah. In our house, so we'd always be coming home, and you know, there'd be somebody else in in the house that mum was cutting hair. So love it. Yet um, generations of you know, mum and dad did well, 
Um, and then, you know, the clearly, kids. you know, I've got a family now and, you know, hope to provide for my kids. My wife is the same, except that her mum and dad migrated from Italy. <laughs> so um, she's closer to, you know, in terms of that migration side than what I am, but we share a similar story. So for me, it's a celebration of what Australia is. Um, and I get the tension. I've worked with um, the Indigenous um, communities in, you know, you know, the, the outreaches of the Northern Territory through Red Dust Role Models I had an involvement there with for over 17 years. And, you know, I, I get the tension that's there. Somehow we've got to solve this. Right. Somehow, somehow we've got to solve, you know, what's occurring between you know, what we term white Australia um, and the Indigenous uh, population. And my view is my generation, our generation, Russ, we're not going to solve it, but we can be role models. Mm-hmm. I don't think our children mm-hmm. are going to solve it either, but I'm hopeful that our grandkids will find a way through it collectively on both sides. And I, I think as I talk to the, the Indigenous people that I do, it, it's about listening to their story and them listening to our story by their own admission as well. Let's find out where the common ground is so we can get over the tension that is there at the moment. So, Paul, um, warning, I'm going to, uh, warning, warning, I'm going to ask you a quick... I'm going to ask you to be the Treasurer of Australia in a minute, so stand by. Uh, <laughs> and the warning is to Freddie, because um, after I ask Paul a question, if you've got one, then you can fire away. So um, we had a economist on the radio last week off the back of an article he wrote um, in the Fin Review, mm-hmm. uh, and he his view, um, to paraphrase him, is the economy is unfit. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't we're not fit and thriving. So um, you don't have to agree with that, but uh, I'm going to make you the treasurer, okay, <laughs> for for a minute. Yep. <laughs> So any thoughts on if, you know, like it'd be quite nice, wouldn't it, to be given the keys and being able to, you know, you're allowed to do whatever you like, Paul. You're now the treasurer of Australia. Um, you've got this thing called Australia and um, I'm chucking you the keys. Any thoughts on what you'd do? Yeah, so fixed federation, hey? Mm-hmm. So is that what you're asking me to do? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you can do whatever you like. Look, I look at it simply. You know, Australia needs to continue to be attractive to the rest of the world. Uh, healthy business means healthy communities. So that's where I'd start. What do we need to do to get the businesses that are operating today healthier um, and to add more businesses um, into the mix? Because if we can do that, we can generate more income. I think we need to look at the, the, the differential now that sits between state-based taxes and federal-based taxes. And I think it's time to have a complete tax review. And with that, you know, look at payroll tax, look at super, look at GST... Um, look at income tax and, and start working through is there a way to, to make better use of the money that's being collected to mm-hmm. drive the economy uh, forward. In, in some would argue that would make a fairer system. You know, I, I think there's a way to change up what we're doing to ensure that we don't go backwards. But I think at the heart of it, we're all getting a bit antsy in terms of the high income earners um, are being taxed almost out of existence and businesses are, are incrementally getting taxes, whether it's a business tax or whether it's other taxes that the yep. state government are putting in and it's making harder to do business here. Well, let's have a look at it. Let, yep. let's, let's stop and do a complete review of what that is and then use that as what will be the driver of the new economy coming out because I have to believe with the amount of smart people that are sitting around the country at the moment, we'll define a system that's fit for purpose to go forward rather than one that's got us at this point. Did you hear the uh, CEO, CEO of NAB? He was on Neil Mitchell's show. He reckons it costs him $60 million extra dollars to be based in Melbourne. So we've got some work to do on that front, hey, Paul? Now, Freddie. And that's tough. So just before you go to Freddie, yeah. 
Um, Victoria's in a particular predicament, and, and my view um, as part of this is the federal government needs to pick up some of the debt that's sitting in Victoria because the cost of repayment of that debt when there's balance sheet capability out of the federal government is ridiculous. So if, if Victoria, say, got forwarded $50 billion at a 1% interest rate out of the federal government and we'll pay that back over 50 years, the delta of what we're paying in repayments at the moment would be about $1.5 billion annually at least. Now, think about that in the context of money saved and what mm-hmm. that could be done to support business and the community. We wouldn't be having the conversation that we're having about the headroom available in the Victorian state budget. So I think we need to get really clear in terms of where the states are at, start normalising that a bit more and, and, and work back to a, a one Australia because you know, if, if Victoria continues to struggle compared to the other states, right. the whole economy won't recover. Exactly. We need Victoria and New South Wales to be strong. That's where the investment needs to go. Treasurer Guerra, you've done very well. Uh, Freddie? Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Paul. Um, so thinking back on the 50 episodes we've done so far, I think we have seen a lot of very accomplished business people who have come from engineering backgrounds. Um, so with that in mind, um, if there were an element of the craft or the discipline um, that we would pick up and place into the MBA program um, to make better CEOs, better business people, um, what would that be? It's a great question. Um, I wondered why I did the engineering degree when I finished <laughs> it, I must, I must admit. I and mean, it took me a while to work it out. Um, what it gave me was a process thinking mindset. Um, and, and that's the, what I would put in the MBA uh, model, is how do you think through things in a systematic uh, way? Because my belief of great leaders, one of the hallmarks they have to have is an ability to make a decision. And often in leadership roles, you don't have all the information to make a decision, yet you still need to be able to make a decision. If you have the ability to process think, you're able to work through things systemically and go, okay, well, if, if, if thought through that and that and that, on balance, this is the best way to take things forward, make a judgment call and then go with that from there. So I think it's the process thinking that, that really drives, well, it, it drives me. Everything I do, I'm able to come back and, and see a process in it once I've done it a couple of times and then I stick to that process. It's no different to, I think, playing cricket. When you go out there to bat, mm-hmm. you know, your first thought is to hit the, 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 bat or the ball in the middle of the bat, mm-hmm. right? And you keep doing that. And then you hit the ball in the middle of the uh, bat into the gaps. And if you keep doing that, you'll eventually score 100. As soon as you stop doing that, you'll be out. True. So it's that process thinking that, I know that, that sort of drives me. <laughs> Did you ever make a ton, Paul? No, no. I made 72. And, yeah. and you know what? You know, I wasn't out. <laughs> I, I shouldered arms to a, a spinner and it hit me, well, in... in higher, where, than, where, higher than the pads. Where, where the, the, the box exists. Right. I was on my tippy toes back on the stumps. Yeah, you weren't out. And right. the idiot at the other end gave me yeah, out. Of course. I'm still shitty at it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I completely understand, Paul. I was seeing them like pumpkins yeah. that day. <laughs> so, so, Paul... Um, You've had lots of leadership roles, mm. so uh, and as a result, um, I'm I'm imagining that you could write a book. Uh, <laughs> if you can't write a book, just give us a few pointers now. I could write a book. I've worked some from great leaders along the journey. I've learned a lot. Worked some, for some great companies. When I think of Motorola, Vodafone, United Health Group, and then three that have gone the, the test of time. If I look at Queen Victoria Market, if yes. I look at Royal Agricultural Society and Vecchi, they're all over 170 years old um, each as well. I think for me, the, the hallmarks of leadership and, and looking forward as much as looking back, they're still true today. Um, there'd be four that I'd focus on. Get great at decision-making because mm-hmm. if you can make decisions, 
you can keep the organisation moving forward. And even if you make a wrong one, if you're good at making decisions, you can make another one which will hopefully be the right one. You've got to be a collaborator, particularly in, in today's environment. That's working with other organisations and working with governments and working with people to make sure that you can get the best of the best coming together. You need a strong element of EQ now. Um, it's very much around the people and, and how do you work with different types of people and motivate different people. And ultimately, you need a sense, a good, healthy dose of optimism. Uh, you've got to keep hope. And I think Neil Danaher has one of those oh, great comments in there as well. You know, with, without hope, it's hopeless. So I think it's up to the leader to make sure that they can see a way through, mm-hmm. even though it might look troubled. Okay, so speaking of um, Neil Danaher and optimism and the fact that you are a bomber, mm. so 2024, mm. what are you thinking? For bombers? Yeah. Oh, Struggle. <laughs> struggle. 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 <laughs> we're still... We're, I reckon we're still a long way off. I, look, I live in hope. Yeah. Um, I still think we're two to three years away, sadly, what if, a, if we get foot, everything right. Okay, what does a footy club need? So if, if you just analyse football clubs, what do you reckon they need? Uh, four elements. You need excellence at board level. Mm. You need excellence at executive level. Yeah. You need excellence at coaching level. Yep. And you don't need all excellence at playing level, but you need excellence in executing a game plan. Yeah, okay. It's as simple as that. It's as simple <laughs> as that. But it sounds easy. Than that. Why doesn't every club do it? Yeah. Now, the truth is now, very, few, very few clubs have them all lined up at any point in time. And, and you can go back through the, the history of, of premiership clubs and they've all had that at the point in time that they've won the premiership. Yeah. I think what's interesting is... Um, the women's game, it's mm. got a lot... I mean, it's really quite enjoyable to watch. Uh, North Melbourne. Yeah. It's quite interesting watching the Kangas. Now, I'm not going to go completely out on a limb because um, that would be a bit over the top to say I think they're going to be a threat next year. But, I, you know, given your formula, uh, great executive, great board, uh, good coaching, absolutely, um, and it's now manifesting itself on the field in the W game, yep. I wonder if they're going to get there quickly. I think they'll get there quicker than people think they will. Yeah. And I think the, the W team, the, the success that they've had there, I was at the W Awards last night, which is a great night. Yeah. Um, Darren yeah. Crocker, I went to the same school with. I played two years of footy with uh, Darren. And yeah. Speaking of Darren last night, look, he's, he's nervous, nervous as I've seen him, mm. um, but he's optimistic as well about you know, what the girls can do. He said, we've never beaten Brisbane in the history of the AFLW. So um, he's up against it, but I think they can win. What, what I think you'll see out of North Melbourne is that ability to take risks yep. while they're learning. Um, and I'm impressed with how galvanising the, the board and the executive is. And clearly, you know, Alastair doesn't need to prove anything, but mm. he's putting the right group of coaches. And I think that's a shift that we've seen since we've played. It's not just the head coach anymore. It's the group of coaches yep. that play out. Now, if you have a look at Craig McRae's group of coaches this year, yep. there's experience and there's success uh, within that, not only at playing level but at coaching level as well. And that, that's when we look at the depth within organisations, it's depth within board, depth within executive, depth within coaching and then depth within playing list as well. It's so interesting, isn't it? So what, what we can learn from footy clubs, you know, the notion that well, they're, they're high-performance organisations and they thri- thrive on high-performance and strive for it every single day uh, and we can learn learn a lot, a lot, I think, in the world of business just by, you know, sure can. And 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 team sport is such a learner. If, if we go back to what I talked about before mm. with collaboration, yeah, right, you you can be the best, the most highly skilled player in a team sport, but if we're talking football, if you can't get the ball, mm. 
right? You're not going to show those skills off. So you need to use your interpersonal skills totally. to be able to influence the ability to get the ball passed to you. And then if I'm passing the ball to you, Russ, and you keep missing the goal, I'm probably not going to keep passing to you as well. So there's the skill element that then comes down to the individual. You there's know? a lot of parallels. <laughs> there's a lot of parallels in that and what we do in a business sense. Everybody needs to work together, but everybody needs to play their part. I'm going to watch uh, the kangaroos with great interest because I think when you go when you go through your four pillars, optimism, EQ, collaboration, decision making, greater decision making. I can see that the kangaroos W side is actually going to they are going to get there fast, and the M side will learn off the back of that. That is my suspicion, and I sincerely hope that that's true for the kangaroo supporters out there. Yeah, well, if Darren wins on the weekend, he'll be the first to have an AFL premiership medal and an AFLW premiership medal. And by virtue, he played in two premierships with North, and he'll coach an AFLW premiership side, uh, which would be just. I think a really nice coming together of of the two parts of of AFL, which I think then sets it up for future success as well. Agreed. One more question then. Uh, so Vecchi, um, going well. Yep. So what yep. what what where do you see growth coming from? Uh, growth for us will come out of a number of um, areas. We we think you know the drive towards more apprentice and trainees is going to increase. We we need to increase the amount of talent um, that's available into that, and that's. You know, not only children coming out of um, high school, it's people making different decisions on their careers. Um, and it's also allowing more people into Australia as well. So we think we'll get growth out of there. We'd love to see more businesses open and we'd love to see more businesses become part of the chamber as well. And that's part of our value proposition um, back as well. Um, I think the other aspect is working closer with government in terms of some of the growth priorities that, that we want to see, that we think the state want to see as well, and, and where we can play in that middle piece because it's impossible for a, a government to speak to every business and it's impossible for every business who wants to speak to government to speak to government. We think we have a role to play in that almost translator side, you know, giving them government speak back to the business mm -hmm. and giving business speak back to the government as well. Fantastic, Paul. Um, I appreciate the time that you've given Pleasure. us uh, for the Sayers podcast and I appreciate the time that you give us on 3AW as well, Paul. Uh, never truer sa word said than uh, a healthy business equals a healthy community, so thank you for that. Cheers, it's an absolute pleasure and I appreciate the friendship with you, Russ, as well. Good man.